0: This is an ABC podcast.
1: Talofa, lover, and warm Pacific greetings. You're listening to Pacific Beat on ABC Radio Australia. I'm Talia Ola-Tia and wow, what a weekend for Pacific sport! Coming up on the show, Vanuatu gets behind its captain as Brian Kautec helps the Central Coast Mariners take home the A League Grand Final. Now, you just know you're a national hero when the Prime Minister of Vanuatu comes to your game. Samoa's Manasina cinch a nail-biting last-minute. Hold on to your hat's win over the Fijiana to claim the Oceania Women's Rugby Championships, although Fiji rugby still has cause to celebrate. In fact, they probably still are after the Indrua beat the Reds at home to secure a spot for the first time at the Super Rugby Pacific Playoffs. We will talk about all that good sporting news today. But don't worry, it's not all sport. We'll also look at how Vanuatu is aiming to use blockchain to send digital money to thousands of its citizens. Those stories and a whole lot more coming up this morning on Pacific Beat. First, though, Vanuatu's Minister for Climate Change has accused Australia of not recognising the Pacific's biggest security threat. It comes as a number of Pacific nations push for a fossil fuel non-proliferation treaty in the region. Speaking at an Australian Institute forum last week, Ralph Regan-Vanu criticised the Australian government for investing in non-renewable energy projects. He joins us now on Pacific Beat to discuss those concerns. Mr Regan-Vanu, welcome to the program. Thank you. Firstly, um, let's start with um, the accusations you've made against the Australian government of, quote, not recognising the main security threat to the Pacific. Um, what did you mean by this and why?
2: Well, back in um, 2018, um, the Pacific Island Forum leaders signed on to the Boy Declaration, which is the regional position on security. And the main position there was that the most critical threat to the Pacific in terms of security is climate change. And remember, Australia is a Pacific Island Forum nation, also, and they also signed onto that. And so that's a very clear statement that the biggest threat to the Pacific Islands' security is climate change. And yet, um, when we see the latest budget in Australia, um, there's you know millions of dollars going to subsidise new fossil fuel projects, which science has proven is the main contributor to climate change. We also see very minuscule by comparison investment in helping Pacific Island countries with the effects of climate change, with adaptation, with transitioning from fossil fuels. And so the action doesn't match the rhetoric. And that's a, that's a concern for us.
1: We have heard that Australia is the Pacific's preferred partner. Um, how do you think this um, non-action or non-action to what the Pacific wants to see is impacting Australia's relations in the region?
2: Well, Australia's always been our first partner of choice and that's historic and it continues in terms of, you know, our our main aid flows from Australia, our main tourists and visitors flows is from Australia. Our main goods are from Australia. And we have a very close relationship with Australia. Um, but there's always been a point of tension, and this always comes up at the Pacific Islands Forum uh, and in regional um, forums because of the Australian position in climate change. And I want to acknowledge the Albanese government. You know, they've moved a lot. They've moved the dial a lot since uh, the Scott Morrison government on issues of climate change. They've passed, you know, the new legislation which sets targets on the biggest projects, but still, it's not enough. It's not what the Pacific is asking for. The Pacific is very clearly asking for a stop to new fossil fuel projects, a recognition of the science, um, start to move that money away from traditional uh, security uh, concerns such as you know submarines, uh, etc., away from fossil fuels, and start to contribute. Uh what, you know, Australia as a developed country was one of the developed countries back in, the, in Paris, the Paris Agreement, that committed to making 100 billion US dollars available each year to help vulnerable countries like Vanuatu. And just to point out that that target, for example, from Paris has not been met ever. And uh, we want to see more money because we are one of the least developed countries in the world and we need assistance in climate proofing our economy. For the increased effects of climate change, which we know are coming and we're seeing them every day.
1: Now, mister Regan Reagan-Vanu, when I spoke to the Foreign Minister Penny Wong last month for the ABC TV show The Pacific, I asked her about whether Australia would sign up to this fossil fuel non-proliferation treaty. And she said that it was architecture that the world hadn't agreed to yet. And if essentially if the world was to consider it, then Australia and other countries would as well. But it did sound essentially like a no. Um, You know, is that enough to wait? for the world to act before, um, you know, countries like Australia does?
2: The Pacific countries have always taken the lead on issues of climate change because, you know, we are the most existentially affected. And so this is another case which uh, we have taken the lead on proposing this treaty. um, Tuvalu and Vanuatu were the first countries in the world and now we have seven countries signed on. Um, just a few weeks ago, the state of California, um, through its Senate signed onto this treaty as well. So that's one of the top 10 economies in the world. Um, so it's gaining traction and Australia needs to be, you know, a leader on issues of climate change, especially if it wants to host the upcoming COP. It needs to be, it needs to show that it is a leader. And one of the ways is to sign onto these kind of, uh, ambitious international um, initiatives that do really start to provide some sort of solution to this threat of climate change that is affecting us all.
1: You're listening to Ralph Regan-Vanu, Vanuatu's Minister for Climate Change here on Pacific Beat. And I did want to mention, um, you know, Australia's bid to host um, COP in 2026 with Pacific Partnership. Um, Do you think that or do you believe that Australia would be a worthy COP host given its track record when it comes to climate change action?
2: I think... uh... There needs to be more done by Australia, especially if it wants to call it the Pacific COP. I mean, we are the Pacific countries, and if it's a Pacific COP, we've made our position very, very clear on climate change. And it's much more ambition than is currently being shown. And so, you know, the COP has been hosted by all sorts of countries um, with different levels of uh, climate credibility. Um, the fact that Australia has chosen to call this the Pacific COP and the fact that Pacific Island leaders have supported... Uh, the calling of this COP, the Pacific COP, means that we want to see more Pacific ambition in Australia as the host country. And the Pacific's always been clear about the level of ambition we want, which is the highest possible.
1: And, you know, um, Australia's defence is always that we are a very fossil fuel dependent economy and that this move would involve a very big transformation in a short space of time. Um, When you talk about ambition, is there a quantifiable action that you would like to see that would show that, you know, Australia is moving towards what you want to see them moving at? Like, how can you actually measure Australia's ambition as being ambitious?
2: There is a big transformation already happening in Australia. Australia is moving very quickly away from fossil fuels uh, in domestic production. I mean, domestic use consumption towards renewable energy. And that's laudable, you know, the the move. We always talk about a just transition. You can't just stop today uh, your consumption and move away. You've got to, there's got to be a just transition dealing with jobs in the economy. But one clear move you can make is stop putting money into subsidizing new fossil fuel projects and put that money into new renewable energy projects. And for me, that that is the marker. If Australia can stop putting millions of dollars into new fossil fuel projects, these are the ones that are not open yet. These are new projects in the pipeline. Take that money and put it into the renewable energy sector where you are creating many, many jobs. It's It's the new economy for Australia. Just that simple move will prove to the Pacific, yes, Australia is taking clear action on climate change that matches what the science talks about and what the Pacific has always been advocating for.
1: Indeed. Well, the challenge is definitely set. We'll have to see if Australia rises to that challenge. Um, Ralph vanu really appreciate your time and um, speaking to Pacific Beat this morning. Thank you. Thank you. That was Ralph there, Vanuatu's Vanuatu's Minister for Climate Change.
3: Pacific Beat.
1: Staying with Vanuatu because they're working to register tens of thousands of their citizens for a new cash transfer program that will allow people to receive and spend digital money. It will use blockchain technology to send the payments and aims to support families in the wake of natural disasters like cyclones or floods. But the program is new and there are some concerns whether every citizen will be able to access the phone-based system, as Priyanka Srinivasan reports. We send them to free, start if the one in.
4: In a busy church on the island of Ambram, people aren't queuing up to hear the latest sermon. Instead, the pews are filled with people updating their personal details on a national database. Government workers from Vanuatu's capital have travelled to the island to register every household. They'll be part of an ambitious project to send aid directly to families in the wake of disasters.
2: They want to send some money to all the people. But before they do that, they must verify our names.
4: Jossi Obed owns a guest house in the north of Ambram. Now that his family have lodged their names in the national database, he's looking forward to receiving government payments.
2: It's good. It's much better than the dry rations we usually get. There are many islands that need the dry rations, things like rice or tinned fish, but that's because they need help quickly. But some of us that don't need dry rations, they're going to give us cash payments instead.
4: But the cash payments won't be sent by a bank or by wire transfer. Instead, Vanuatu is experimenting with using an internet-based app built on blockchain technology to send digital currency directly to citizens. Recipients can then use this digital money in participating stores that are also signed up to the cash transfer system. Josie doesn't completely understand how it will work. I mean, no
2: I don't know how the money will get to us. They told us we won't be handling it like cash, but it somehow gets to us. I don't really know how to explain it, but I know it'll use our phones.
4: Ambram is one of the early islands to be signed up to the scheme, which will then roll out across the nation. Vanuatu's finance minister, John Salong, who is heading the project, says the cash transfers will be linked to the national ID of the heads of each household.
5: So, it's going to be using the internet to be able to do vendor businesses. So, it's going to go from the government to the heads of the households, uh, linked to the national IDs, and the heads of households. Once they're registered with the app, they will be given an eight digit PIN code, and it's using uh, blockchain technology. And so, basically, we, it's secure. And uh, once digital funds have been transmitted to the household heads, they will then be able to use their national IDs to interact with vendors, and vendors will need to, uh, of course, have online access. Vendors will need to have a smartphone.
4: The household heads will be female, Mr. Slong says, and the aim of the program is to support the country when hit by disaster.
5: Cash transfer will be part of uh, early recovery intervention on the part of the government, so... It means that we need to register 66,000 households and in a very short period of time, uh, verify that their data is, uh, is valid with the uh, verification of the criminal, uh database and then we will be able to use their national IDs to send them digital money.
4: The app is still being developed by Vanuatu's Postal Service, but Mr. Salong says it will be ready by the end of July. It's an ambitious time frame, and there are already hurdles to overcome. The people of Lalepa Island were the first to be entered into the national database to receive payments, but that campaign faced some technical issues.
5: From there, we learned uh, three things that we need to have fast internet, and that we need to be um, interacting with a good database
4: and then there's the issue of cyber security, particularly in light of a massive cyber attack that brought Vanuatu's government to its knees last year. Minister Solong says that's why the government is using blockchain to deliver the payments why Why use that technology
5: uh, because uh, I've been told that's more secure.
4: Okay, but do, we, do you know why or, or, or why it's more secure?
5: You're asking a technical question to a minister. Okay, so so you might not know. Uh, I get advice from everyone.
4: Okay. Because I'm asking, because there is some concern that, you know, blockchain technology, we're seeing it's related to cryptocurrency. It's the same technology that's used for cryptocurrency. There's some criticism of that industry that it's a bit unstable, um, that it's not very Uh, safe. No,
5: I mean, if you're talking about blockchain, meaning uh, people uh, doing online trading, we are talking about the system, which basically allows for uh, many, many computers to store the transactional information so that it uh, builds on it, each other and it's very hard to go back and say I've destroyed all of it because you have to destroy so many computers to destroy the blockchain, the information that is, uh, is, is behind you.
4: Blockchain aside, there is mounting research that direct payments can efficiently and effectively help vulnerable families. Diana Contreras-Suarez from the Melbourne Institute for Economic and Social Research says these programs have been in place for decades in some countries which give money directly to its poorest citizens. This in contrast
6: to other ways of distributing benefits like, for example, food, or vouchers or in-kind transfers, the problem with that or the the limitation that that requires is that it requires a lot of logistic and infrastructure built around how to deliver um, these type of programs, while Mm -hmm. with cash, you just need to make a transfer or find a way of
4: delivering the cash. And that's it. But despite these positive findings, cash transfers remain fairly new to aid work and have barely been used after disasters. In terms
6: of humanitarian aid, using cash transfers is very controversial.
4: And it hasn't been used. So there is not too much research about. For that reason, Diana says researchers would be watching Vanuati's cash transfer program very closely. But she does foresee some challenges, particularly in the use of blockchain technology and smartphones to deliver the money. I think the main concern that comes to my mind is like, how do you make
6: sure that the money gets to the people that it's intending to be reached? So if it's using, for example, the app, you need to make sure that everyone has a phone. And everyone has the app and everyone has the knowledge of the app. Also, for example, women or people in rural populations, they also have lower rates of mobile ownership. So if those are the areas that are more likely to be um, affected by those crises that the government wants to um, support, then they are going to have problems, again, reaching the population that they intend to.
4: The Vanuatu government is aiming to register 66,000 households in the country and begin the first payments using the app next month.
1: That was Priyanka Srinivasan there with that report.
0: Nijam Forty, hosted by me, Sam Wykes, and me, Tenedo Aruna. Each week, we'll bring you Pacific Islander stories from on and off the Rugby League and Rugby Union field. We'll have
7: plenty of special guests, tales from the past, tackle the big topics of today and look forward to the next-gen Nisian footy stars. Nijan footy.
0: Nisian footy. footy. Monday afternoons at 2 o'clock PNG time on ABC Radio Australia.
1: You know what that sound means. It means it's time to find out what's making news online around the region. And to do that, I'm joined by producer Kyle Evans. Good morning, Kyle.
0: Good morning, Talia.
1: Let's start with the funeral of beloved Tongan princess Mele Siu Ili Kutapu, who has been laid to rest.
0: That's right. So uh, she was laid to rest uh, on Saturday at the royal tombs uh, in the capital early on Saturday morning. So this is reported by the Matangi Times and it uh, followed a Friday night vigil at the Seaside Royal Palace where the casket was conveyed uh, to the royal funeral cortege under the charge of the traditional royal undertaker. The following morning, she left the royal palace at around 8.30 a.m. in a slow procession led by about 100 members uh, of His Majesty's armed forces, as well as police and church leaders. Uh, Members of the royal family followed behind. Uh, I understand flags were flown at half mast all day and the central roads were blocked off. Uh, Meanwhile, in New Zealand, a ceremony was held in Auckland with leaders of the Pacifica uh, community as well.
1: Indeed, and sending love and thoughts to both her family and also the Tongan community because, as we said, she was much loved and um, leaves behind a remarkable legacy of achievement, joy, kindness, love. I've actually learnt a lot in her death about the type of woman she was and uh, just a constant advocate for Tonga and um, the pride that Tongans have. Um, Kyle, let's go to Guam now because there's been a state of emergency declared due to... the water shortage. I'm assuming that's following Typhoon Marwa last week.
0: Yeah, that's right. So still experiencing a major water shortage, uh, unfortunately, which prompted that uh, state of emergency to be declared by the governor. Uh, So this is reported by the Pacific Island Times. And according to their latest report, uh, which was over the weekend, it stated the Territory's Waterworks Authority is still only operating at about 70%, meaning a third of its population is still without water. Uh, It's understood the loss of consistent power to the the island keeps causing the pumping stations to shut down. Uh, yeah, which ultimately prompted prompted that executive order.
1: Mm, that's got to be a worry. Um, what are they telling residents by they, I mean authorities?
0: <laughs> yeah, it's like uh, operating back back in the olden days almost. They've been told to limit the use of uh, of supply just to cleaning, bathing, uh, and cooking to allow some of those reservoirs to replenish. Mm. Uh, in the meantime, the water authority uh, has developed uh, sorry deployed portable water tanks containing thousands of gallons of water to northern, central, and southern villages of the territory.
1: Mm. Indeed. Um, let's do some more sport because I think today's show is definitely a bit sport heavy because it was just an amazing weekend for Pacific Sport. And um let's talk about Vanuatu's captain Brian Kautak, who's really just had a fairy tale first season with the A-League. Um and the Central Coast Mariners, his team have claimed the championship. Mm-hmm. My Twitter feed was just Full of proud people from Vanuatu cheering him on. Um, how did it play out?
0: Yeah, not in a way that anyone expected. I, I have to be honest; I'm guilty. I actually didn't think uh, didn't think they could win it. I was so uh, I was so pleased to see that they uh, that they did. Uh, they were very much the underdogs heading into that match against the defending premier and ended up beating Melbourne City six one uh, in front of twenty six thousand people, which for people who aren't soccer fans out there that is a big uh, that's a big scoreline um, and yeah it, it pretty much from the get-go they were just dominant they scored twice in the opening 30 minutes shell-shocking uh, their opponents in some ways and things just got worse uh, for Melbourne City two penalties in the box saw the Mariners take a 4-1 one advantage and it was just uh, they were just queuing up to score after that Caltech uh, himself very quietly one of the team's best um, 35 passes in 90 minutes of action uh, on the field but more importantly he's become the first Vanuatu-born footballer to play in and win an A-League Grand Final.
1: and Like I said, Ishmael Kausakau at the game on the weekend. He's definitely a national hero, it seems. Um, What was the reaction back in Vanuatu? I saw a a stadium with a screen Mm. that had been set up in the middle of the pitch so that people could watch this game. What's that been like?
0: Yeah, milestone occasion. Yeah, so that that stadium that you were talking about, that was uh, Freshwater Stadium in Port Vila screen. Were set up there so fans could watch the game. Understand that was that was packed out. Uh, Kaltak told reporters after the game it was like the country had won a uh, won a World Cup, um, which yeah, which is just awesome. Like you said, uh, Ishmael uh, Kalsakau was in attendance. They shared that. Pretty emotional embrace mm-hmm. after the game. I understand uh, Brian didn't even know he was there until yeah. somebody told him. I don't think
1: he'd want to know. No. <laughs> the pressure would be too much. No,
0: that's right. While they were celebrating, but um, but yeah, now look like he said before, what what a fairy tale. He was literally unsigned at the start of the season, had never played a professional football um, football game, had been playing uh, at an amateur level in PNG in New Zealand as well, and now he's a, a champion at 29 years of age.
1: Wow, it truly is impressive, and you know, Pacific Beat will try and get Brian on the show to talk about it um kyle thank you so much for bringing us those stories
0: thank you talia
1: that was kyle evans there with some of the stories making news t- today and over the weekend um speaking of sporting news from the weekend the samoa man of sena what an incredible game that was yesterday at the oceania women's rugby championships
2: you're listening to pacific beat on abc radio australia
1: you are listening to Pacific Beat with me, Talia Olatia. They always say it's not over until the final whistle blows and, boy, was that true for the Samoa Manasina, who beat the Fijiana 19-18 to 18 in the last minute of the game. Actually, I think it was overtime <laughs> when they took it out at the Oceania Women's Rugby Championships. And, of course, Fijiana are the Super W Rugby Champions. Here's the moment from Stan Sport when Cassie Siatunga stepped up and slotted the tournament-winning penalty kick.
7: Manusena for the win. Yeah!
8: So you tugger, the superstar! History
7: making for Manusina! They find a way! And the kick on full-time!
1: Truly incredible and in the belting rain as well. The champions, the Manusina will now complete a compete, rather, in tier two of the new World Rugby Women's Fifteen competition, while the Fijiana will be there in tier three. Filoi Inaliko is the assistant coach of the Manusina Samoa and joins us now. Talofa Lava and congratulations. Talofa Lava, thank you so much. Philoy, it must be so incredible, especially since it literally came down to that final penalty <laughs> kick. Um, talk me through the game and especially how you saw it, because after Fijian scored in what, like the 78th minute, I thought it was all but over for Samoa, but really did rally. Oh, well, thank you so much. Yeah,
8: it's very excited and. Um... After that last try from Fiji, I still believe that there's time. When I look at the, the clock, it's 30, 39 minutes already. And I know there's a kickoff, but I still believe that something will, will happen, something good will happen. So, yeah.
1: It's truly incredible. I'm one of those people who always hope, but then the realist in me goes, they only have a minute <laughs> left. I would have never called seeing what happened there. Um, the Mamasena had an incredible run during the championship. They beat Tonga 69-5, PNG 83-0. But the test was always Fiji, wasn't it?
3: Yeah, you.
8: Yeah, that, that that that's right. That's the um, that's that's the main target um for the, this championship. is um, the Fiji draw. I know all the team like BNG and Tonga, they're all good, but Fiji is um our main target.
1: So tell me how you prepared going into that game, knowing that you were going up against the Super W Rugby champions.
8: <laughs> um for for us, we. We already know that it's going to be a physical game, and we prepared well not only physically but also mentally. But we, you know, we, we we changed some of our tactics and going through that game, and yeah, and we we prepared the girls well, and we know that they will go out there and do the job.
1: Yeah, it's truly impressive. I was watching an interview with the captain um, after the game and that was, of course, Sui Pauraisa. And she said that the team met in Queensland and essentially had two days of training to assemble because, you know, unlike the Fijiana, this team was brought together and hadn't had game play together, training time together. What was that process like of essentially building a team for these championships with such a tough time crunch?
8: Yeah, because most of our girls are from New Zealand, from Or yeah, from New Zealand. But some from Samoa. It's very hard to put together our team because most of the girls are um, are working; they're looking after their families and all those sort of stuff. But yeah, we managed to give the girls their programs to do what they need to work on, and when we when we come together, it's they're all ready for for the um for the tournament
1: yeah because i imagine um so many games in a week and you know tough 80 minute rugby games too you'd have to have a <laughs> certain level of match fitness um so was how was that ensuring that not only they had the fitness going in but then the recovery between those games to ensure that they could go through um, and achieve what they achieved
8: yeah we with um with our girls, it was really good in terms of, um, like, not only on the field, but also off-field stuff. With our culture, it's very strong. And especially this week is our Nganana Samoa, our language week. And it's really important because most of our girls um, didn't grow up in Samoa. So we have that strong culture every single day during our our camp, in, in our camp, just to make sure that everyone is, um, and make sure that the team is child well. Before before the games,
1: mm. yeah, I think that must have been when you saw the championships was in the same week as the Samoan <laughs> Independence Day. You were like, yep, "Yeah, that's the extra boost we need to get through." <laughs> You're listening to Filoy and Aliku, coach on the Manusina Samoa team, who have just truly um, done something incredible. I will tell you exactly what that is: they have won the Oceania Women's Rugby Championships. Now, Filoy I know that we compared to um, Fijiana obviously having um, taken out again the reigning champions of the Super W rugby competition. Um, you know, could this win be a pathway for maybe Samoa also entering the competition as a team?
8: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, um, It was a good game and I just wanted to, um, you know, thank you to our sisters from Fiji. It was a really good good game of rugby and it's also encouraging our girls back home you know that they can do it and also it's really good because we have we just finished our secondary school's um um t- tournament back home and now that the girls can see there is a pathway for them to to come up to this level.
1: Mm, indeed I mean not um... only
8: yeah not only players but also coaches and everyone else
1: back there. Yeah, absolutely. Both, you know, on and off the field or contributing to the yeah. game. And I don't doubt it's going to be inspirational. I mean, I was watching it as a 36-year-old in Melbourne whose dad is Samoan going, can I also play for the Manasina? I was inspired. So, you know, if I'm yeah, inspired. No, yeah, Yeah. Yeah, I imagine everyone else would right. be as oh. well. Um, the loy this now means um you know after winning these championships that Samoa will play in the World Rugby Tier 2 World Competition when it's held in South Africa um you know what does this mean for Samoa especially like you know moving forward to the next women's rugby world cup um you know what potential lies ahead
8: uh, this is this is a really good um uh, pathway for, for for the girls and also our main goal is to qualify for for the twenty twenty five World Cup. And this is a good pathway for us to play this um um tournament to get there.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah I, um, yeah, I cannot imagine, you know, what this now means in terms of confidence, in terms of team building, you know, both the players and the coaching staff as well, um, you know, what this will mean and can't wait to see the Manusina in South Africa. Um, we'll have to leave it there. I know that you were on the team bus this morning, so I really do appreciate you taking the time to chat to us. I would assume that, you know, it's an early Thank start you. for you guys, so I appreciate yes. you taking the call. And of course, congratulations <laughs> to the whole team. Um, we were We'll Be cheering you on wherever your team goes and whatever they do. Okay, okay, thank you so much. I'm so sorry for that. Oh, no, 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 don't apologize. That's I'm the, so that's the, um, yeah, so what it's being that's what it means to be yeah. the coach of a championship winning team. You are busy yeah. and intervened. <laughs> like, thank you I so much. To,
8: yeah, I, I wanted to ask, uh, yeah, I wanted to talk more about it and give you some good answers, but yeah, I'm oh. on the pass and I'm a bit rushed and it's a bit oh noisy. God.
1: Mate, if that was you not giving good answers, you were totally on it. It just means we'll talk again. (laughs) Have a good day. (laughs) Thank you Thank you so much. Thank you. That was Filoy Eneliku, the assistant coach of the Manasina Samoa team, who yesterday beat the Fijiana 19 to 18 in, as you heard, a last minute, (laughs) really, truly was, hold onto your hats in the seat of your pants, the last minute of the game to win the Oceania Women's Rugby Championships. They will now compete at the World Rugby Tier 2 World Competition when it's held in South Africa, I believe, in October this year. You are listening to Pacific Beat with me, Talia Olatia. And let's move now to a story about stories because there's a push to get more Pacific writers published. Over the weekend, a writers' festival run by a charity brought together several writers from the greater Pacific to mingle with other Australian authors. The charity hopes that more publishers notice Pacific writers and publish their works, who some say are the greatest unheard stories of the world. Jan Kahoot with more.
3: As a Solomon Island writer, Joshua Torren struggled to get his work published. His new book, The Bandits Among Us, talks about the Solomon Islands ethnic crisis between 1998 and 2000. It was a labor of love and took three years to go from concept to book. Mr. Torrens says getting books published is difficult due to the high cost involved and the lack of publishers in the Pacific. There's also the cultural challenge.
9: i a professional editor, mostly someone, uh, someone from an English-speaking background. In most cases, when they do the editing, they don't understand the cultural component of the stories. So. And the second thing for me is, like, by the publisher. For me, i fortunate, uh, the fascination, right, this festival, I have to go through them to publish my Facebook. So I'm yeah, super excited about that.
3: The First Nation Writers Festival is a charitable association that helped Joshua publish his book. They invited several First Nation and Pacifica writers to Townsville, Queensland, to talk about their book and meet other writers from Australia. And the bossy from the charity says they're helping Pacifica writers get their best work out there. They've got the best stories in the world. of
4: course they do they have magnificent stories and there's a huge gap in the market
1: where they're not being published and what I mean is published in their own voice in their own words and how they want the work to be published not uh changed to to suit a market around the world but published in their voice
8: that's the most important thing and that's why we're here that's what we're doing
3: Papua New Guinean Marlene Digre Putura is a high school teacher and a writer. She says while young people may be good at writing and are interested in doing it, they are unable to earn an income from their words.
1: Uh, With
8: writing in Papua New Guinea, nobody uh, makes anything at all, right? So uh, most people write because they want to make money, I believe, and they kind of uh, look for means and ways. uh, They enter competitions. Them personally, if they want to make an effort uh, to write, and they do. If they don't want to, then they don't. Because if they keep on writing, how will they get on with their jobs and their you know, like livelihoods?
3: Mrs. Digre Putura used the online bookseller Amazon to self-publish her own work, which also means she pays for it herself. For others who can't afford to self-publish, the only way to get their work out there is through the big publishing houses.
9: If you come up with a story, then it's like uh, publishing. is like uh, go through the big, like go through a huge wall. You have to, how do you have to come across it? It's like hitting a brick wall trying to publish a book. So
3: For Solomon Islander Joshua Taran, he's hopeful that Pacific writers can persevere and get their stories published and out into the world.
9: I just want to call out, out to all the writers in the Great Pacific to share the stories. I think we have a lot of stories there it just need to be put in a, a story format and see uh, there are people out there like the Face Station writers who are willing to support uh, Pacific writers to publish the book.
1: That was Solomon Islands writer Joshua Torren ending that report from Yarn Kahoot. You're listening to Pacific Beat with me, Talia Ola Let's continue with our sporting theme well, sporting theme because there was just so much good Pacific sport news over the weekend. The Fiji Andrua have made history booking themselves a spot in the Super Rugby Pacific Playoffs after thrashing the Queensland Reds in Suva. The home ground definitely proving to be an advantage once again for the Andrua, running away with six tries to claim the match 41-17. to The win has elevated them to the playoffs for the first time where they'll play the the Crusaders in Christchurch this weekend. He- Ahead of the news, oh, sorry, head of news and sport, interesting at the Fiji Broadcasting Corporation was at the match, and he joins us now on the line from Suva, Indra Bulla, and welcome to Pacific Beat.
7: Bulla Talia, how are you doing this
1: morning? I'm doing very well. I'm actually surprised you still have a voice. I would have expected some <laughs> loud yelling over the weekend.
7: Yeah, most definitely a lot, a lot of people are still reminiscing that historic famous absolutely brilliant victory on saturday that has escalated us into the uh, playoffs for the very first time and only in the second year of comp
1: i imagine fiji would have been going off during the game and are still going off knowing that they have made the playoffs
7: yeah most definitely it's 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 been one of the most i would say bizarre year bizarre years in terms of the Supercom because as you know they headed into the last round needing a win and the Highlanders lost on Friday night so did the uh, the Chiefs wore, uh, sorry the uh, the Highlanders lost and then that gave them a you know a sniff they needed a bonus point win but in mm-hmm. the end they just needed a win etc so it was all this all these calculations at play up until 4:35 local time when the match kicked off they just needed a win and at half time they were both tied at 17 apiece and you know it looked like it looked like Fiji and Drua would have to dig deeper, but Lo and behold, second spell, they just ran right over the uh, Reds, who were basically shell shocked, not knowing what actually hit them in that second spell.
1: Yeah, um, Fiji definitely put the foot on the accelerator, that's for sure. You were talking there about the rugby maths, because, you know, when it comes to the playoffs, it's the top eight teams. And obviously, Fiji has now booked their spot. They actually jumped up into spot seven. So it seems like they're definitely secured. Um, Tell me about the crowds that were there. Were there any attendance records broken? Because I think this is what now um, Fiji's fifth home win out of six. Obviously, the crowd does something for this team when it comes to winning.
7: Well, there's a slogan going around, the best crowd around. So, you know, they have raked in the best crowd seen this year in super rugby competitions, in uh, the home games that they've played in Lotuka and in Suva. And the boys and the team and the coaching staff continue to say: as long as they have that sort of a support in the stands, in the terraces, every time they play at home, they will be unbeatable. I mean, they've taken some big scalps this year. They've beaten the Crusaders. They've taken down the uh, Hurricanes, rather, and now they've taken down the Reds. They only lost one game. That is to the Blues and never lost. But overall, the crowd has been fantastic. There's already talks about Giving Fiji the bull round, which would involve all the teams here, but that's that's the talks at the moment. It would be fantastic to have that round here in Fiji, but you know it depends on the powers uh, that are there are that will decide on that. But I think Super Rugby overall has got a massive boost in terms of the crowd turnout and the way that Drua have raked in the numbers, not only locally but only, uh, even even every time they've played abroad.
1: Indeed. Now, of course, the Fijian Drua will face the Crusaders in Christchurch because um, the Crusaders finished at top two. They get the home ground advantage in the playoffs. One, we know that they, the Crusaders are the reigning champs, but we also know that the Drua have beat them before in that nail biter back in March. So how do you rate the Drua's chances? And will Fijians be turning up to Christchurch to support them this weekend?
7: And look uh, realistically the Crusaders are a champion outfit they 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 know what finals footy is all about I reckon they will come out with all guns blazing but hey it's rugby anything can happen on the day and I think the Drua the belief will be that they have beaten the Crusaders once they can do it again if they can play and put together a polished 80 minute performance they should be able to push the Crusaders and it is it is it is sudden death rugby it could be a decider right at the end with the final kick of the game, or it could blow out, etc. But at the end of the day, I think the satisfactory result that's been achieved and goal number one that's been achieved by the drua already is making the playoffs in the second year of the competition, which is historic. Um, not 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 only for uh, for Fijian rugby, for, but for Pacific rugby mm. itself, with the Pacific rugby itself with the way they have uh, done stuff and put and put uh, the Pacific Islanders, Mm. you know, Moana Pacifica also, I mean, we cannot forget them, Talia. They, they yep. won their first game and it had to be against the Waratahs where they took down the Waratahs and great on them as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You are right. Um, you know, a historic win for Moana Pacifica with that 33-24 upset against the Waratahs at the Sydney Football Stadium, giving them their first win in 14 matches this season. So while they didn't make the playoffs, definitely hopeful um, for more Pacific rugby ahead. Um, Indra, I want you right now to just Believe and believe it will happen because we know that the Fijiana have won the Super W title. What would it mean for the men's outfit to also win, you know, the Super Rugby Pacific and have two Fiji teams at the top of Super Rugby? What would that mean for, you know, Fiji and for rugby in Fiji?
7: First of all, everyone will tell you they'll need a public holiday. I mean, that's that's what they always talk about. <laughs> but but, or more on a serious note, I think, Talia, I think it is just the something that was always there. You know, Fijian teams, the Pacific Island teams have been knocking on the door for big comps like Super Rugby for years that we've known. And I know from my days of covering it that we've always... You know, the, the plea has had gone out years ago to allow the Pacific teams, they allow the Fijian teams, the Samoans, the Tongans to play in super rugby. And that dream has, you know, it's finally come come true last year with the Super Rugby Pacific. And now the Drua are showing, you know, that they're they're not a pushover. They're not they're not a second tier cousin that everyone talks about in the rugby world. They can put together a perfect team that can, you know, beat the big boys. Uh, when when the when the drew a bit the Crusaders this year, a lot of people were shocked. But but for those who have followed Fijian rugby, Fiji rugby and Pacific Islands rugby can do that on any day. And this is going to set. Should that happen, and uh, Talia, you know, you you, you will be welcome with open arms in Fiji. Perhaps something like Ben Ryan got given a piece of land for leading Fiji into victory at the Olympics. But uh, you know, that should set the perfect platform for the Mm. Rugby World Cup later this year, Mind you, we we can do it at club level. You've got to replicate that at the international level as well.
1: Mm, indeed. And we know, of course, Ben Ryan not only got that land, but his face appears on Fiji money. So you can just imagine what would happen. <laughs> some, some more currency, some more notes might be in order. Um, interesting. Always a joy to have a chat to you. Here's hoping that, you know, the Indrua do what we are hoping to do. They pull off another win against the Crusaders and book themselves a spot in the semi-finals. I know we've all got our fingers Fingers crossed for that, for sure.
7: No, most definitely. And you know, thank you to everyone. I, I reckon, I reckon everyone. It's not only the Fijians. You know, the Australians have played a major part. The other Pacific Islanders, the New Zealanders who supported Pacific Islands rugby. I think this, this is this is a start of something great uh, for Pacific Islands in general. And I'm just so proud. I'm so proud to see that our Fijian Samoan Tongan and Cook Islanders and other boys who were featured in Super Rugby this year for the Moana Pacifica and the Drua mm. are now finally been given a chance to prove their worth.
1: Indeed, indeed. Indra Vinaka Vakalevi, thank you so much for joining Pacific Pacific Beat this morning. That was Indra Singh, the Head of News and Sport at the Fiji Broadcasting Corporation, talking to me there about the Fiji and win, making it into the Super Rugby Pacific Playoffs. They'll play the Crusaders in Christchurch this weekend. And that brings us to the end of Pacific Beat for this morning. A reminder of our top story today. Vanuatu's Minister for Climate Change, Ralph Regan-Vanu, says Australia needs to invest more money into the renewable sector and less into the Pacific's biggest threat, which is climate change.
2: Stop putting money into subsidising new fossil fuel projects and put that money into new renewable energy projects. Just that simple move will prove to the Pacific, yes, Australia is... Taking clear action on climate change that matches what the science talks about and what the Pacific has always been advocating
1: for. That was Ralph Raganvanu there with a, some strong words for Australia, and of course we talked about all the Pacific sporting magnificent, the excellence of the weekend. News will be next, and then Jacob McGuire will be up with N with daily rather, where you'll find out more about Kiribati's flying canoe. What does that mean? You'll have to tune in or stay tuned to find out. My name is Talia Olatia. I'll be back at the same time tomorrow for more Pacific Beat with the news and views of the region. And Richard Ewart will be along this afternoon for the afternoon show. Until tomorrow, fa fa let fa along longum to fa so fua.